It's good to see you all here. And, uh, you know, before I jump into my uh, message here, I want to just maybe just pause and comment just for a a moment on just what Brittany shared, uh, just what's going on in our country and all the things, and offer uh, just something, uh, maybe not offer, offer, but also encourage something on the part of all of us and, uh, and for us to pray here today. And that is as the church and as followers of Christ, all of you who are here as followers of Christ, you know, one of the things that I want to encourage all of us to be just praying for in our country um, is that God, first with us as followers of Christ in the church and then for our whole country, uh, to be praying that we would become just better at loving one another, better at loving one another of different tongues, tribes, and nations, as you would see in Scripture. Just seeing all human beings in a way that we would care and want blessing and goodness for them, that that's something that you can just feel uh, our culture and our country uh, needs right now. And we, we get to be that and embody that. So um, let me just pray for that. Would you all just bow your heads in prayer with me real quick? And let's just pray for that. Um, Father, we come before you and we pray that you'd teach us, your children, just Uh, grow us to be better at loving people that uh, are different than us, people that are difficult for us to understand or love, Uh, the strife that happens within uh, families and countries and in cultures, Father, that you would help us uh, to just be more like your son, Jesus Christ, and to let that be something that we can offer that permeates into our culture. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we, of course, are in uh, this series called Living uh, the Questions. And last week, uh, Ryan led off uh, the series uh, looking at this kind of set of questions that circled around uh, two questions in particular. And it was, um, uh, who am I and what am I becoming? And this week, we're going to look at a couple of different questions. And I want to look at these questions of, does anyone see me or who will choose me? And of course, these are relational questions. These are the questions that we hit a stage in life, and this happens to all of us at one time or another, maybe multiple times in our lifetime, where we're going to, we're deep in our soul. We're going to be asking some deep questions about relationships, about how genuine the relationships are around us. Do we have those relationships in there? And I think it's interesting to, to think about when we're growing up, there's so many things in our early years of growing up in learning uh, that are focused on learning how to accomplish things, how to be able to do something or how to learn about something. And that is really important, right? You need to be able to do that to become an adult. And what happens through that whole process, if you think about this, there are all of these uh, relational uh, networks or situations that we're, we're just naturally put into. We have a lot of relationships growing up that aren't even necessarily our choosing. We're just, we're put into those situations. We have classmates and we have teammates and uh, we have uh, other people that we get to meet uh, with uh, sports that we do or other activities that we do, even into college. Uh, you go through all of these things and And it's not that relationships are thrust upon us. It's just the natural environment we're in always puts us in these kinds of containers or situations where there's people that we get to know and we become friends of one type or another. But there becomes this kind of shift somewhere in life, isn't there? Where we kind of get a handle on life. We've figured it out. We kind of know what we're going to be doing or what we're about. 
And that's where I think oftentimes there is this shift in our soul where all of a sudden we look around and we ask the question, there are these people around me and I know what I'm trying to do, but like, what are these relationships? What, what do they mean in there that suddenly we begin to see and feel the value of relationships more than ever before? Uh, because in some ways, uh, we haven't done as much to choose those relationships as, uh, as we might in the future. Or we look at those relationships and we wonder, like, so if it wasn't for what I do or what I'm involved in, uh, would those people think the same way about me? Would they want to be my friend? Maybe you, the questions come out in you that you just think, you know, I go to the same job every day. I go into the same office. I walk by the same desks of the same people or the same cubicles. I sit in the same meetings. I wonder, um, do any of them really know me? Do they really know who I am past just... They pass me at my desk or what we talk about in a meeting. Or uh, you get the kids up for school, you know, every day and you get them out the door and you get them to band practice and you get them to music lessons and you get them to the sports things and their groups and you're doing all of this stuff. Um, but you wonder, uh, would they really miss me? Like, like if you pulled me out of the equation and just had somebody else do all of those things for them, would it matter? Do I matter uh, in that? Or maybe you're at that place where you're just saying, you know, uh, I go on dates. I've got lots of friends that I hang out with. We've got lots of activities, things that we do. But would anyone notice if I weren't here? Like the fun and the conversations and all that stuff, would I be missed if I wasn't a part of that? Or maybe you have found that place that's you know, you're successful. You've, man, you've got the thing going that you wanted to have happen. And then it hits you of the people that know you or want to hang out with you. Would they still want to be your friend if you weren't successful at that thing? If you weren't the person in class that was smart enough to help them with their homework? If you weren't the person that had the latest, best idea at the office? Would they just want to be your friend for just who you are? And we go through this place where it can begin to feel a little lonely, even if you have lots of people around you. You may even say, you know what? Um, I have lots of people around me in my life. I just wonder if any of them actually have me in this. See, I want you to uh, listen to uh, Cody's story. She is a fantastic mom of four. Uh, she's been a part of this church for a long, long time. And I just so appreciate her vulnerability to just share her story as she's kind of walked through some of these uh, questions in recent years here. So listen to Cody's story here. My name is Cody and I am 33 years old. I'm the wife to a wonderful husband and I have four beautiful children. We got married pretty young and we've been married for 12 years. We started uh, having a family right away. We were so thankful we had, um, we had our son first and then we had two more daughters. 
I went from working in the workplace and then being home more with my kids. But what I found myself was just, you know, waking up, taking care of everybody's needs, kind of going through my day. Um, you're kind of like questioning, like, does this matter? Does anybody see me? Um, no one's really saying thank you. And so there is, a, I think, a struggle in, in that stage of life where you feel like you're constantly serving everybody around you and pouring yourself out and and not be really being recognized like does anybody really see what i'm doing am i really contributing anything to the to the world to the workforce and anybody really sees what's happening So I do remember a time and I had gotten up really early to go to the gym with a friend. I hit um, a four-way stop and I was kind of like, I just don't even know if I want to drive home because it's just the same thing as yesterday and no one really seems to care. Um, like I don't think they would care if it was me making their food or someone else. Like, you know, it's just like doing things that you don't know if you're appreciated, you don't know if anybody would even notice if it was someone else or you weren't there. It was a moment though where I really questioned, like, does it matter at all? Does anybody see me? Am I loved by anybody? There was a time when um, I decided, like, I'm gonna get involved in like one of these mom groups. Like, I'm gonna take my kids to a, a thing so they can get some socialization and I can get out of the house a little. So I, I went really excited to make some new friends and um, none of the moms really like even engaged in me. Like a little bit, like maybe acknowledging my existence, but as far as like wanting to have a conversation with me or like have a new friendship, um, I really felt like kind of invisible. And so that was a time I felt super alone, like super unknown, I felt like, I'm trying to go out of my comfort zone to establish some friendships or relationships or I'm trying to do something for my kids and I just kind of left there feeling like really empty and really, um, really unaccepted. I was seeking to be known and I was seeking to be loved, thinking like if I did these things then, um, you know, I might be known or loved more, maybe even by my family. And that was like the sum of trying to, in my own strength, in my own like, like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna make everything great and I'm gonna be known and loved. Um, just realizing I was exhausted. I was exhausted of just having like really unrealistic expectations for, you know, if I could just do all these things right, then I'm gonna really feel loved and fulfilled. You know, the thing I love about her video is uh, she captures that sense of vulnerability that we all go through uh, with this. Because there's that part where you want to put yourself out there in some way, but it's always this vulnerable thing to wonder that if, if I step out in this way because there's something I long for, what happens if I, as a person who says, I want to matter to someone else, I, 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 I want someone to really see me for who I am, but what if I put myself out there in that way? And I end up not mattering to others or to someone else, or I'm not seen. And uh, the other striking thing about Cody, if you know her, uh, she is uh, very outgoing, very relational. And, and if you know her, you realize, you know, if, if Cody can be asking those questions, then it is questions that 
all of us as human beings will ask at one time or another that this is part of the human struggle of how God created us and yet it becomes this struggle and and for some of you maybe you're in this time of life right now and you feel this others of you it's like you've navigated through that and I hope that this morning is a time that gives you uh, the ability to pause and think about other people that you know that might be in this uh, stage of life but here's what I want to do to kind of get at this this morning I want to look uh, primarily at two people I'm going to start with one uh, his name is Saul. And the other we're going to look at is his son, Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan. And uh, they become uh, kind of an interesting case study on this because here's part of what I want all of us to get out of this series on each and every week is that as human beings, while we will go through these different sets of questions, it's just part of being a human, we always have this opportunity to navigate these questions in our lives uh, trying to lean on and understand God and allowing him to be a participant with us, allowing him to lead us and guide us through answering these questions, or uh, we can navigate them on our own. And of course, the thing that I want to encourage all of us with is allowing God to be the one that would guide us and lead us uh, through that journey that sometimes is exciting, sometimes is difficult uh, in answering these questions. So uh, I want us to look at uh, Saul here for just a moment. Uh, Saul would become the very first king of Israel. And one of the things uh, that you notice about Saul uh, is that uh, no one would have been surprised that he uh, was future king material. In fact, if you have your Bibles, uh, flip with me over to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Um, and we get introduced to his uh, family a little bit and to him. And it says this in uh, verse uh, 2. And it's, and it's coming off his family lineage and that they were in good standing and, and all of this sort of thing. And it says this, verse 2. Uh, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. And one of the things that you uh, begin to see uh, very early on in, in Saul's story, especially in the Bible, is that... Uh, he was accomplished. There were things, people looked to him and they're like, oh yeah, he's like, he's the guy. He's got things uh, pulled together. He's got, you know, the physical stature of this. But when you look at his family history, it's just like, he's accomplished in all of this. And which kind of fits this whole thing uh, in that oftentimes it's when we reach that point where we feel like we know what we're doing in life a little bit. Like, you know, I've got a career uh, figured out, or I've got my finances figured out, or I've got, you know, uh, you know, I know what it is to be a dad or a mom or, you know, uh, raise a family or something. But then all of a sudden, wherever it is that you are in that place in life, and then, then you have these questions, but like, what about the relationships in this? And Saul begins to go through this. Samuel comes to him, and Samuel is the priest uh, over all of Israel. And before Saul becomes king, uh, in many ways, Samuel is the leader of Israel at this point. And God comes to Samuel and says, Samuel, uh, Saul is the guy that's going to become the king. And so Samuel goes to Saul and tells him, uh, God has picked you to become the king. It's interesting how Saul reacts to this. And in some ways, it's not. His first reaction to this is great reluctance. It's great reluctance. Because I think there's a part of him that's wondering in this, and you see this play out in the story, like, okay, Samuel, you're telling me that I'm going to be the next king, and I get, like, God's probably choosing me to be the next king, but we've never had a king before. 
And like, how are people going to react to this, right? There's a part of him that begins wondering, what does this mean and how I'm going to be related? What if the people don't want me, you know, and, and this whole thing. And so Samuel actually walks through this thing to help Saul begin to understand that like the people are actually with you. He has this big um, meal uh, of like 30 of these top leaders and they have this like banquet thing and this big deal. And it's still not quite enough uh, for Saul in this. And so then they have this huge ceremony, this massive assembly of all of Israel. It's a little bit like uh, it re when you read through it uh, in Samuel, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Star Wars episode four, which is really like the first one that came out way back when, when I was a kid. And if you're a millennial here, it was like way before you were ever born kind of a thing. And do you remember, it sounds funny saying this, but you remember Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo and they've destroyed the Death Star and it's like, yeah, and everything's great. And they're really excited about those three, aren't they? And so they have this giant assembly at the end of the movie, remember? And it's got people in all their goofy outfits from all the different planets and galaxy of far, far away and that whole deal. And it's this thing where it's like they have those three come forward and honor them as like, you know, they, you know you're the big deal here. Well, that is in part what Samuel is trying to set up so that Saul can begin to see and embrace this moment for what it is. So I actually want us to, to look at this. So um, flip over to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 10. Uh, and in this, this is this massive ceremony. It would have been massive, massive. Look at the verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 20. Uh, when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And so you have to understand there's a ceremony with this, that he would have gathered them all forward. And then it's like uh, the entire tribe of Benjamin gets singled out, probably moves uh, forward in some way. And it goes on, look at verse 21. Um, then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Marta's clan was chosen. So in other words, uh, there's the clan of Benjamin. And now every, every clan within, you know, the tribe of Benjamin comes forth. And all this is, all this ceremony is about like bringing it and narrowing it down to just one guy, right? Um, goes on, um, finally Saul, son of Kesh, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Isn't that a little strange? This, that's like you get to the end of Star Wars and where's Luke Skywalker? He's gone. Like, this is about you, Luke. You blew up the Death Star, dude. Like, come forward. And Saul's nowhere to be found. And so they inquire of God. Look at um, verse 22. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hiding among the baggage. Yeah, it's just like, you know, everyone's traveled to town and Saul just found a nice pile of Samsonite bags and he's climbed to the bottom of it and he's hiding, right? And you go, what in the world is going on here? And part of what I think is going on here is, is there's like a question for Saul in this. There's like, I... He has risen to the top of his family. He, like, he knows how to do life. But there's something about this that he's looking around and it's like, will they really choose me? Will, like, will I step out and there I'll be all alone. No one's going to want me. And so part of the natural thing to do is you, you just, 
you hide in the baggage. And I think maybe in some ways, all of us have times in life where we're hiding in the baggage because we want to know, will someone come and get me? Will they notice that I'm not there? Will they, will they run to me and choose me for who I am, see? And maybe, maybe that's part of what's going on in Saul. In fact, look at how uh, the story continues to uh, play out. Look at verse uh, 23. They ran. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was uh, a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Well, that had to be a really good moment for Saul, right? Um, and I think in some ways that, that is, that's exactly what he was looking for in that moment. That like, I want to be chosen. And I think there's a part of us, all of us, uh, that want to know that the people that we're around, the people that we're working with, that they want to choose us. But now here's the thing. As we go down that path, right, we can take that path and be, continue navigating those questions, leaning on God and letting him be the one that pulls us forward. Or we can simply begin to answer those questions and lead ourselves forward. And what you see, kind of starting at this point out of the story, is Saul, Saul is going to forever struggle with this question of, who will choose me? Will someone come running to me and pick me? In fact, he will go to his death, never gotten past those questions. And what I would say is because he continues to try to answer them on his own. What's interesting is he has a son by the name of Jonathan, who is under all of the same things. His circumstances of his life are so similar. He becomes a, a great military leader, uh, as was Saul. Um, he is the king's son, right? And so you think about all the things. Think about the times where Saul had to question, okay, there's people and they want to they get close to me. They want to know me. They want to be my friend. But would they want to be my friend? Would they want to hang out with me if I wasn't the king? If I couldn't benefit their life? I, like, he had to question that at times. Jonathan goes through all of that same stuff. But the direction that Jonathan ends up taking becomes far, far different. And that's what I want you to see here. So I, I want to look at just, a f I, I want to take just a little bit of time and look at a few things about Jonathan, where you see this uh, begin uh, to play out. One of the places it begins to play out is um, after Jonathan becomes a young man and is a military leader, there's another young man that kind of comes up uh, through the ranks, uh, becomes rather famous. He kills a giant and, and his name is what? Who knows? David. That's right. David. And um, so all of a sudden you have David on the scene. And up to this point, right, Saul and his son Jonathan have been the main military leaders and people have looked at them and they're like, man, you're like, you're the man and you're the other man, right, on there. And all of a sudden this young guy, David, comes up through the ranks and he, you know, uh, other than, you know, killing a giant named Goliath, he has tremendous military respect. And all of a sudden, you, it's going to create tension in all of this thing. And uh, they would go off to war. In fact, there's one story in Samuel where they go off to war. They, go, they have this battle, and they're wildly successful, and they're coming back. And when they come back, right, the people are excited. And so they write a little song, 
right? They just, a little ditty of a song that they come up with. Um, and this song goes something uh, like this. You know, you can just picture Saul coming in on horseback into the city and they're like, and Saul, and I, I don't know what the tune is. I probably, no one knows the tune. And if I knew what the tune was, you wouldn't want me to sing it. But the way it goes is Saul, Saul has slain his thousands, right? You know, thousands of enemies and he's slain them and he's amazing, right? And you just picture Saul going, ah, oh, this is wonderful. Just basking in it. They love me, right? Until they get to the next line in the song. And the next line in the song says, and David has slain his what? Tens of thousands. Yeah. Well, for Saul, it's like, huh? Like, you know, what do you mean? Like, I, like, and it doesn't matter how many thousands he has slain. He sees this moment where there's somebody else that's being picked. There's somebody else that's being chosen. And what if that means I'm not enough now? What if that mean? what does that mean? And instead of being able to, to begin walking through a really hard thing relationally for Saul, like I'd give it to him, right? That, that'd be kind of awkward, you know, walking in the city and hearing that song. But instead of trying to follow God, in walking through that, he goes on his own. And the thing that happens to him that the text describes, and you can read, you can read through Samuel and read all of these stories if you want, um, is that jealousy just uh, begins to overtake his heart. That he can't come to the place where he can see how he is okay relationally if there's someone else that maybe would be chosen more than him. Right? It, it's back to the whole, you know, the old thing where, you know, picking sides for, uh, you know, kickball out on the playground or something. And there's all of that relational tension that people go through, that kids go through. And it's, it's like, you want to be picked, you want to be picked because it says something there. And he struggles uh, through that. And, and it's this jealousy that just begins uh, to rob him. What's interesting to me, though, is, you know, there was one person that did amazing things uh, and never got a song. In fact, Jonathan, uh, there's one story in which Jonathan and his father Saul are in a battle. They're outnumbered. Uh, they don't have the weapons they need. And it looks like it's going to be a total rout. And in the middle of the night, Jonathan uh, takes his arm bearer and goes into the enemy camp on like a, a desperate move and is willing to sacrifice his life in order to defend the rest of the army and ends up uh, killing enough people and turning such disarray in, I think it was the Philistine army, that they flee. He beats an entire army by himself and his armor bearer in there. It's the stuff legends are made out of, okay? But he gets no song, right? There's no place where they're like, and Jonathan, you know, and, you know, he doesn't get anything. And yet Jonathan manages not to go down that path of being overwhelmed by jealousy, right? He is able to answer these questions in a different way. Uh, there's another time when things get so bad between David and John, or between David and Saul that Saul is uh, out to kill uh, David, wants him gone, wants him arrested and executed. And he almost catches him. There's this point where he thinks he's got him surrounded and he's so excited about it. And then right about the time he's going to have David captured, uh, David absolutely uh, is able to escape and get away. And Saul is livid and he is so upset. And he's been chasing David now probably for several years. And he has had this group of people that have been with him through thick and thin and, uh, and trying to find David and keep the kingdom uh, together. And I want you to look at how Saul responds to them. Um, flip over to 
of 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Here's, uh, here's how it plays out. Here's what uh, happens. Uh, and this is what he sang to this uh, group of men that have been with him. He says this, and he's throwing a, uh, a fit. Uh, just think of the tone of, of some kid throwing a terrible fit. And this is a tenter tantrum. Here it is. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant, speaking of David, to lie and wait for me as he has done today. Now, I want you to think about what he says there. None of you is concerned about me. Well, here's the, here's the truth of the matter. He is saying this to a group of people that for years have been nothing but concerned about Saul. That they have given their life to following and being loyal to Saul. And yet, and he's mad because it just, you know, you're, you're not concerned about me enough. Do you see what's happening? One of the things that happens is we ask those questions. And again, they're okay questions to ask. Who will choose me? Who is with me? But if those questions only stay in that place and, and we never allow God to lead us forward in them, they will turn inward and we will lose perspective on what is happening. And that is exactly what has happened to Saul. Um, so much so, he is blaming his son here for betraying him on this. And you know what? His son, Jonathan, did nothing but walk the hardest fine line between not betraying his father Saul while at the same time honoring the fact that God was anointing David to be the next king someday. And the further truth in all of this was David was not lying in wait to kill Saul. In fact, when David had the opportunity to do so, he passed it over, passed it over, even when it meant that if he were to kill Saul in those moments, he would instantly have become the king. But Saul can't see any of that because now he's drowning in this idea of, right? Woe is me. Who loves me? Who's going to pick me? Um, when the question turns inward, it does ugly things. In fact, when you think about uh, Saul's life, it plays like a, a, like a Greek tragedy, despite the fact that his life was filled with good and wonderful things. In many respects, Saul lived a life as a king of Israel that had more good things happen to, uh, it, under his kingdom and less bad things than almost all the other kings. But you never get that sense because he constantly lived in this place of feeling like, but there's no one for me. There's no one for me. And he got lost in it. And so I say all of this because um, maybe more than any of the other set of questions we're going to deal with throughout this series, this one, we will all deal with this one for sure. We will all, even sometimes multiple times in life, come to that place where the deep question of our soul is, do I as a human being matter to other people? Is there someone who will choose me? Right? You can be a young person going through life and wondering, you know, I'm, I'm involved in all of these things, but is there someone that I matter to? You can, be, you can be a parent. You can be, a, I think of Cody's story, right? You can be a mom and just, just pouring yourself into a family and taking care of kids and managing uh, all kinds of things and go through this thing and go, man, I'm just going through this all the time. But the truth is, I don't know. If you plucked me out and just put any person in my place that, you know, could take them to, you know, to practice or get them to school on time or, you know, be there to get a meal ready or answer a question, would it matter if it wasn't even me there? 
And you're going to deal with that. And there's going to be moments where you're farther along in life and there's going to be that situation that you're going to go through and you're going to help people navigate through it. Or maybe you accomplish something wonderful but you sit back and you wonder, is it really mean what I hoped it would have meant because there's no one to, is there somebody to share this with, see? And so I want to offer two things. In the, in the next five minutes here, I want to just offer two practical things for when you are in that place and navigating those waters of these questions about, is there anyone who will choose me? Do I matter to someone in this world? Two things to help you navigate that more the way of Jonathan, letting God pull you forward rather than Saul. And the first one is this, very simple. First one is this, accept that God chose you. It starts right there. You have been chosen. God has chosen you. You know, we talk a lot around here about what it means to be a follower of Christ and taking that step or making that decision or whatever. But uh, when you think about that, it, uh, maybe you've never thought about it in this way, but uh, what scripture never describes is this idea that we as human beings will suddenly come to this place where we just, like, we know that we're a sinner. We know we fall short of God or we realize that we want to have a relationship with God and we reach out to God and we, we make a request to God. God, save me or God, may I have a relationship with you or whatever. And then uh, it's like God says, okay, that's an interesting request. Let me think about that. Let me think about that and I'll get back with you on that. No. What do we know? That before you ever had breath in your lungs, God chose you. Before you even knew you needed Christ in your life, there was a standing invitation to you because he chose you. And our response in becoming a follower of Christ is, is merely an act of recognizing that Christ has chosen us and we respond to that, see? And if you can come to that place where you can say, God has chosen me. It, it sets up something different in your life in this. Um, in fact, uh, even all the way back in the Old Testament, before the time of Christ, there was a way of referring uh, to the Israelites sometimes, a way of referring to God's people. Um, and it was a chosen people. A chosen people. Because he wanted them to understand this. It's, it's I've chosen you, see? And part of the foundation of, of what we need to uh, come to grips with as we navigate th uh, these questions is we start with acknowledging God has chosen me. Uh, I was going through, uh, I had uh, this blank book from years and years past that I'd fill and I'd journal in it and write notes and do all this stuff. Um, and I've got several of them in here. Recently, there were some notes in one of them and I was trying to find it. And so I was going through a couple of my old blank books and I was going through one. And as I opened it up, uh, a piece of paper fell out and I didn't know what it was. And I picked it up and looked at it. And it was a note from my daughter Colette from uh, maybe, I don't know, 10 years back or something. It was one of the first notes she ever wrote me. Um, and on it, it was, and, you know, it's the, and it's the, like, oh, this makes my heart melt. You know, my little girl, you know, way back when in giant block redders, you know, it's like, Daddy, I love you. I love you, Daddy. Daddy, you know, just, and I was just like, Ugh. and what hit me in there, you know, is just, a, you know, a little sentimental journey, you know, in that moment, and sat down and read, was, that was maybe one of those first early times that my daughter Colette, like, chose me. That she, that she understood something in that. And as I read that, it was like um, there were years before that 
that Angie and I were choosing her and choosing her and choosing her. And there was some spark in her that is it got that. It's like she couldn't help but respond to that. It's, it's when a child gets that spark of who they really are to their parents. And friends, that is what we have in God. And so when you're asking those questions, acknowledge that. Go back to that great truth, which uh, leads us to the second thing. And just on a real, uh, very, very uh, practical level. And it's this. A second question to ask. A second question to ask. Um, and it's, who will I choose? We naturally are asking the question, who, who will choose me? But I want to encourage you to ask the question, who will I choose? And here's why I think this is, is so important. Um, you can't be chosen enough to satisfy your heart's need until you've experienced what it is to choose another. Until you've had the opportunity to choose another. You can't be chosen enough to fully understand what that is until you are the one that has put yourself out there and has chosen another. I think about Cody's video and some of the things she, she shared, just knowing her, she's one of these people that knows what it is to say, I, I will, I'll take a step of vulnerability to choose another. And I think when we go to choose another, it so often opens us up to that door of being embraced in a new way. I think about my daughter Colette, right? Um, in fact, she saw the note. I like showed it to her uh, afterward. I said, do you remember this? And I could just see her light up and she came over and read the note. And there was something for her in understanding the choice that she made that became so, so very important. Friends, if you've never taken that step, and if you're in that place and you want to hide in the baggage, I want to encourage you. Take the step of choosing someone else. One of the most remarkable things that happens in the story of Jonathan and Saul is the striking difference that is David rises in stature. Jonathan could see what was happening in the nation of Israel just as well as Saul as David was rising as a military leader and as a leader in general, and all the things that were causing Saul to become threatened by that. Jonathan saw that. In fact, there is a huge argument that Saul and, uh, and, that Saul and Jonathan have when Saul looks at his son Jonathan and says, don't you understand? This guy, what he can take is your throne. Jonathan knew that. But here's what Jonathan did. Jonathan saw a young guy, David, who was coming up in the ranks, but saw all the struggles, all the things that he was going through, saw a king that wanted to kill him. And Jonathan said, I choose him. And Jonathan chose him. And I'll argue that that changed something in Jonathan's heart that filled him up in a way that his father Saul could never experience. That when you choose another, you are being the answer for another for the answer or for the question that you're asking. And when you do this in the most of practical of ways, can I say this? Don't, it's not like a one-time pick, right? It's not like, you know, uh, you know, don't look at your spouse and say, well, you know, why do I say I love you again? I mean, we got married that day. I told you I loved you that day, right? And it's like, no, it's a good thing to say it over and over to um, uh, choose, uh, choose someone else over and over and over again.
It does something for you. Um, it, you know, you may be at a place in your marriage where you're just like, man, that, you know, the other, man, they get on my nerves. And I question whether, you know, where's our marriage now? Is it a healthy place? And it doesn't feel like it's at the place it once was. And are we going, yeah, here's what I want to say. Choose them. Choose them. Don't just rest back on a vow that you took years and years ago. Get up in the morning and say, you know, sure, there's problems with my spouse, just like there's problems with me. But I choose them again. I choose to extend grace. I choose to be the biggest fan in their life. I choose to see the best in them. Um, with your kids, man, kids can, you know, I'm so glad I'm not in the same place of parenting that Cody uh, is in. Because there's, you know, my kids both drive now. I don't have to drive them. Play. It's wonderful. Right? Uh, but if you're in that place and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, what was I thinking when I said I wanted to be a parent or whatever, you know? And just, but I'm telling you, Choose them again and again. Uh, you've got friends in your life, you know, and, and there can be those moments where you question it. And it's just like, you know, are these, are these the kinds of friends that I want? Or I don't know, you know, they're... Choose others again and again and again. One of the things that you see, and I am out of time, but if you want, you go back and read uh, 1 Samuel, like chapters 9 through 20, 22 in there, and you get this whole story. And I kid you not, I bet you it's somewhere between five and ten times that there is a formal point at which Jonathan makes a covenant in choosing David. Over and over, you read it, that he made a covenant with David. He came before and swore friendship to David. He comes and put his life down for David. He made another covenant with David. It, he, just, he just kept coming back to this and said, I will be the kind of person that gives away the very thing that I long for. And in giving it away, friends, Jonathan found relationship and that someone did choose him in David and in others. Saul, I can think of one instance where Saul chose David and then somewhere abandoned it. And he went on to die a man, never knowing fully if he was loved, if he was liked, if anyone would choose him. His son who dies at the same time died with a rich, full relational heart. May you be a friend as you seek friendship. Now, and I'm gonna dismiss this. Um, may God be with you and may you find his friendship and friendship in all that you do in Christ. Amen.